0: It is Adam. Welcome back to Bringing It Backwards, a podcast where both legendary and rising artists tell their own personal stories of how they achieve stardom. On this episode, we had a chance to hang out with Dave Cavalier over Zoom video. Dave was born and raised in Chicago, and he talks about how he got into music. He actually grew up in a music shop. His dad owned a music store, so he had free reign to all the guitars and drums and all the instruments that his dad was selling. So he talks all about that was always drawn to the guitar. His favorite musicians were all guitar players. He tells us about going to Berklee School of Music. Berklee really wasn't on his radar until his mom ran into one of the members of Rascal Flats at the airport. And she was doing the mom thing, like, oh, my son's into music. And this member said, hey, you know, Berklee School of Music is where I I went to college. So Dave ends up going there. After graduating college, Dave moved to Los Angeles. Dave told us about the band he joined once moving to Los Angeles, putting out his first solo record, and all about his new album, which is called Civilian Air. You can watch the interview with Dave Cavalier on our Facebook page and YouTube channel at Bringing It Backwards. It'd be awesome if you subscribe to our channel, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Bringing Back Pod. And if you're listening to this on either Apple or Spotify or Google Podcasts, it'd be awesome if you follow us there as well. And if you have time, leave us a five-star review.
1: We'd appreciate your support if you follow and subscribe to our podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: We're bringing it backwards with Dave Cavalier. Um, Yeah, so this podcast is about you, uh, your journey in music, and we'll talk all about the new record coming out this month, right? A little later this month.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, we got the first single coming out Friday, and then mm-hmm. uh, you yeah, have the new album coming out on the 18th. So,
0: very cool, awesome. Uh, so talk to me. Yeah. I did born and raised in the Chicago area. Is that
1: what I saw? Born and raised in Chicago, uh, currently based in uh, Los Angeles. Okay. Um, yeah, man, but i here for like 12 years. So, all right. Definitely, uh, definitely don't really do winter anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I've, I'm from San Diego. I know, I know the weather there. It's very cool, beautiful. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, absolutely. My, my brother-in-law lives out there. So uh, oh, we nice. get down not as often as we'd like to, but, but more than uh, more than not.
0: That's cool. That is cool. Yeah, we actually moved to Nashville, but. Uh, oh very about cool. a year ago yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but i boarded born and raised in san diego lived in california my whole whole life up until february of last year so
1: <laughs> i love it yeah dude i'm a i'm a berkeley kid from boston as okay. far as school so you know we've infiltrated your new hometown now pretty uh significantly i think at this point oh yeah <laughs> <So>. <laughs> cool well okay well tell I'm me sure about especially is. uh Yeah, man. Well, I mean, with Chicago, the the thing really for me when it comes down to that is like some basic things, just like that Midwest hospitality, Mm -hmm. you know, just the way that we interact with people is something that like I still kind of miss now that I've been in LA. That's the one thing for sure is the people. But uh, you know, it's also, but then blues, right? Like that is at the core of who I am as a musician, even though some people can kind of pull it from the music, from the roots. You, know, you can hear a lick here and there, or something like that, where you can pick up on it. Um, but as things have uh modernized, so we say, you know what I mean? Maybe not uh-huh. as much, but uh but that's where I come from, man. It's all blues.
0: Okay, okay. And were you in actual in the city of Chicago? Is that where you grew up or out in the outskirts?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I I did like uh I grew up in the burbs a little bit outside for, for a little bit, and then you know, when I was coming back in in boston for for college you know mm-hmm. mom lived in the city and so got to live kind of near we Field a little bit area there and do kind of the city life so feel like you got a little bit of the best of both worlds you know get to run a cornfield and play tag and guns as a kid and things like that but then you know fast forward to when i'm a little bit older and you're obviously you know uh bar hopping on clark and things like that so
0: right on right on yeah, so obviously very musical upbringing if you made it to berkeley for college so tell me where did your musical journey begin like uh how'd you get into music <laughs>
1: Yeah, man, for sure. Um, so, I mean, the my dad's a music store. I mean, that's really like the biggest oh, part of it for me. He owned you know? a music so, store? Like, yeah. So when I grew up, I mean, m- he owned this really awesome music store in Libertyville, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. And, uh, you know, when I was like, I don't even know how old, I mean, he started taking me to work with him. And it was just like, you had to spend eight hours a day just kind of hanging around, entertaining yourself. And there are these walls of guitars everywhere. So it was just like. Just grab a guitar, go plug it in, go have fun, go do whatever. You know what I mean? That became like my little child playground was just getting used to like being in this environment surrounded by instruments that were just always kind of available that I could just kind of pick up and tool around with and, you know, uh, head downstairs where there was a drum set. And stuff, you know, and as long as there were no lessons happening around there, I could just mm-hmm. bang around and don't give me any flack. So that was really kind of, um, I think, one of the most transformative sort of like subconscious kind of vibes that made music definitely part of it. Um, Mom always was, you know, playing uh, at James and Nina Simone and B.B. King and stuff like that. when we were at home cooking and things. And, you know, so that was definitely part of the influence for sure as well.
0: Okay. And, and, well, your dad obviously owns a music store or owned a music store. Did, how many instruments did he play? And how did he get involved
1: in that? That's pretty pretty, amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I think every musician, you know, 90% of them, right? Like their parents did something or Mm -hmm. there was some kind of like roots in there. And and my dad was a really incredible guitar player, kind of a folk guitar player. And he never, to my knowledge, at least that he's told me, chased it professionally. But, you know, even into my adult years, he was still gigging and, uh, you know, would play in the church bands, you know, every Mm -hmm. Sunday that was kind of his weekly gig sort of thing. And um, so it was always just really cool to, again, just walls of guitars at work, but then there was racks of guitars at home that all belonged to him. And so, um, he had that kind of consistent, strong influence. And again, accessibility to all of this stuff is really what is a game changer for a young kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can want to play guitar and, you know, stare longingly through a shop window, right? But if you never get your hands on anything, there's definitely, uh, you know, that barrier of entry to an extent, for lack mm-hmm. of a better phrase. Um, that was not there for me. You know, for me, it was like, as much as you want to get down on this, like, have at it and so right. that was really really special yeah that for is. sure so yeah. guitar
0: was was that the i mean you obviously learned guitar was it something you were able to take lessons at the shop and did you play any other instruments or was that the one that you were mainly focused in on
1: yeah no for sure um i mean definitely guitar has always been my number one you know okay. i think um the big thing for me was always that uh i i learned piano you know and I think I would tell people pretty regularly that if you have the opportunity to learn an instrument like definitely learn that first <laughs> it's just right like, <laughs> easier of course um you know and I can play drums and of course since I play guitar I play bass but it's just uh all the coolest people when I grew up were all guitar players you know okay. I grew up on bb king eric clapton steve Vaughn Jimi hendrix you know I mean mm-hmm. all, those are the four pillars of my electric church and so like those dudes writ. and so for me um As much as I wanted to be able to do all these other things just to be kind of versatile as a musician and uh, tinker around, that was very much always like what really hit home,
0: you know? Okay. Was there a guitar that you would like go to at at the shop that eventually got sold? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah that's 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 actually a, it, that happens so often you know I mean? really and props <laughs> to my dad too because like he was one of those guys who you know there'd be the three thousand dollar like gibson dove guitar or whatever sure. on the wall and you would think that he wouldn't let a 10 year old with whatever extent of playability to like pluck that off but it would be more like those are just the guitars i would still allow to play i could just he would have to be kind of like with an shot around of, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, no, but it was it was really kind of cool because i I don't I, I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember what age it was, but you know, eventually, I think, like most parents hopefully should do for their kid is make sure the interest is fairly solidified before you start purchasing instruments, you know, nice ones. Right. but um, you know, once he really could tell that it wasn't just something that I tinkered with and it was something that a really genuine interest in, you know, that it became like, okay you know, take a look on the wall. Like, what do you, what do you want to have be your first guitar, you know, and um, ignore the Gibson dove over here. You know what I mean? Like (laughs)
0: Within this price range. Within this particular (laughs) section of the store. Um,
1: And it was funny because there was definitely a Stratocaster that I recall, you know, had this kind of like crystallized, it was like blue with this sort of crystallized kind of um, pick guard on it. And it just, I played it all the time and it sort of, you know, most musicians will say, you know, they're instruments that are the right ones, so to speak, kind of speak to you a little mm-hmm. bit. And this one I definitely had a connection to. And then um, a couple of days before I was I was going to bring it home, all of a sudden there was this switch and uh, Epiphone Les Paul was the one that like this goal. It's actually that one over my shoulder, which oh, I mean, it's wow. a podcast, so I don't know if people can see it, but this, that's, that's my first guitar. You we use the, the video. School.
0: What's which, that? So, we'll use the video. So the one right above your left shoulder.
1: Yeah. 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 This, this bad wow. boy right here. And so, um, and, uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's ironic now because, you know, I've had a great relationship with Gibson over the years. My main guitar of choice as, you know, a touring performer now is very much my Gibson Les Paul, which was also a gift from my dad. I don't have a guitar by the way, that wasn't given to me from my father, which That's is amazing. really kind of epic. Like, um, I, I will fully admit I am spoiled. Full- you know what i mean like like i didn't i didn't have them on it's the way that I to guitar. it's always this um you know hey there's this for repairs and then no one came and picked it up you know would you want it and then now oh, wow over here that's like you know my experiment guitar like i have a midi pickup on it so i can like kind of tool with new sounds with that one and like um and then eventually the the Epiphone uh, Les Paul evolved into the Gibson Les Paul because mm-hmm. that one used to be my dad's Les Paul. And so, uh, you know, he didn't play it as much. He knew that was, like, really what I was into. And, and he just was like, okay, I think it's about time. It's not mine anymore. It's yours. You know, and that was – I think that's what also makes it, like – just even more special to play, you know, it's like, for me, that connection always exists between my dad and I, every time I kind of strap up and, um, and that's really obviously special to me. So
0: mm-hmm. that's you so know. amazing. Yeah. So do you, that one just, I, I'm, I'm, I would imagine you don't play the the Epiphone behind you anymore. It's just kind of like I mean, the I, first I, guitar, know, like. Okay, all respect we're...
1: to my Epiphone people, but once you get your hand on a Gibson, exactly, <laughs> like you know. Let's be honest. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I've also souped up that Gibson quite a little bit, so it's sort of my my little Ferrari. But um, yeah, I think it's I, I get pretty precious about instruments. Like I have. Mm-hmm you know, out of frame here, whatever. I have a cool little cigar box guitar that I just picked up at like a flea market here in LA from just a guy who just had an amazing vibe and the thing plays incredible. And I like have recorded with it and it's awesome. I have um above it on the wall over there is this, uh this tiny Stratocaster that my dad made, like literally made. Whoa. And- it's it plugs in it like it's fully functional as a guitar it's just like a half size thing and uh he made one for me and one for my brother my brother had a telecaster and um there's a video of me at like two years old you know big glasses all chubby as hell (laughs) standing there with this thing like at my knees sort of uh singing la bumba you know and like just rocking out and uh, you know, my mom always used to give me shit. It was like, if there's gonna be a before there rock stars video, like this is gonna be the one I'm gonna have to turn over. <laughs> We're so, submitting this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just me in a t-shirt and a diaper, just going to town on this thing. But that's so um, cool. But yeah, so I'm really sentimental about about each and every instrument because I have this personal connection to them, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and so with that particular one, it's always cool to have um you know ones you can kind of maybe get a different tone out of and things like that but I'm, I'm not like a tone junkie so that one really to me now is kind of like you said it's a little more like a trophy for lack of a better mm-hmm. phrase it was sort sure. of the you know the the one that started it all <laughs> right right
0: right you if mentioned you, your brother play does he he plays guitars as well does oh do man play i
1: god love my brother he has tried every instrument under the sun because he wants to be able to play with me you know what okay. i mean uh-huh But uh, the musical bug did not bite him as naturally the same way as it uh, I was lucky enough to get gifted with. So, um, but I, he's, I mean, he's a next level human being. I mean, he's like two tours, purple heart soldier. Like he's, he's got his own stories that are like, Well, well beyond kind of what I've even, you know, could imagine, you know, doing with a guitar. Right, right,
0: right. Wow. (laughs) He's sort of Um, an A plus human. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds like it. Oh, wow. Did you play in bands
1: uh, growing up or?
0: Yeah. pre pre Berkeley? I'm talking. Like, did you, like in high school or middle school or, and I'm sure you probably played in what, the jazz band and band at school?
1: Believe it or not, man, I was a three-sport athlete. So oh, wow. a lot of my high school like um i i'm you know i was I, I always try to be this well-rounded individual you know mm-hmm. i'm sure that was a product My mom just you know being awesome and well-rounded herself and kind of pushing me in that way but I love sports so I was a three-sport athlete um but as I got into sort of my later years in high school um I sort of realized what my path was starting to be you know my commitment to music was really really solidified once I kind of was looking at Oberlin and Miami and all these spots um you know I visited Berkeley and it was just a next level thing for me. Like something mm-hmm. felt like home there in a really special way. And, um, once I knew I was going there, my whole senior year, just detoured. Like I left doing, uh, didn't play basketball, didn't play baseball. Uh, you know, I, I was in choir. Um, mm-hmm. I was taking AP art classes just to like flex on that part of my brain. I was, um, I'm trying to think we didn't really. Wasn't it, didn't, even did like musical theater mm-hmm. for superstar, and like my character like bro you gotta get into this i'm not doing this show unless you're into it and i was like okay you know and so uh-huh. uh you know future future rocker i was judas which makes a lot of sense when
0: looking back <laughs> <on> it, <so. laughs> oh wow well that's interesting that you decided to go i mean the berkeley route being that you were playing three sports and it sounds like that was kind of more of your 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 main focus uh was like berkeley said it was kind of like you went there and it kind of changed it for you like what just made you go oh you know what? i should just go check it out
1: yeah well i mean um mom um, was it a baggage the, the way we heard of opera glues my moms at a baggage claim uh, after taking a flight maybe from Nashville I don't even remember where it was and lo and behold she was talking just was having a conversation with this guy you know in kind of that beautiful naive way that a mother would you mm-hmm. know what I mean where like he's I'm a musician. oh my son loves music and you know that kind of thing and um, yeah. well it turned out to be one of the members of Rascal flatts. And, no way. <laughs> and And forgive me for not remembering specifically which one, but she was completely oblivious, of course. And, uh, and he had just called out like, yeah, well, you know, if he's looking at colleges, I went to Berkeley college of music. This is an incredible spot in Boston. Dah, 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 and, um, he should check it out. And that was genuinely how it got on my radar it was one of the guys from Rascal flats. And so then when I looked, I mean, you know, you do all these visits, you check things out on paper, you use college fairs and, uh, I remember talking to like University of Michigan, all respect to my Michigan people, but um, I, I remember telling them like, if I don't do math and science my senior year of high school, cause I was doing some AP stuff, didn't have to do it to graduate. Mm-hmm. And I did art because I know I'm gonna pursue music at your university. Like would you hold me essentially in the kind of application process? And they were like, no, you definitely finish your math and science. And, and I literally never applied. I was just like, that's a hard pass for me. Like, right. if I know where I'm going and you're not there to help me get where I'm going, then it's not the right place. And um, Berkeley was actually the only place I applied to
0: wow and Home did you have to do like course. an audition process or was it at a time when you didn't have to i've heard like so many different stories about getting in that school
1: yeah i don't i don't want to age myself too hardcore but um but at the time you didn't have to audition so okay um it was this really interesting process of like teacher recommendations and okay. um you kind of it, I respect it in a way. I think they've had to formalize it, of course, to some degree now because they're trying to level up um, even more than they already are. But um, at the time, I just remember them saying, like, Bob Dylan and John Lennon wouldn't get into our school if we just auditioned everybody the same way that everybody else does. Mm -hmm. And so their evaluation was to try to include some of the best performance and capable, technically capable musicians But also, you know, somehow looped in this X factor, you know, these, thank God for that because, you know, I was technically accomplished, but I'm not a world-class technical player in my opinion, at least, you know, I was, um, I was recording artist. you know, I was a songwriter and a performer and those things, um, thankfully were skills that I, I very much was able to cultivate in there.
0: Okay. And and while yeah. there, like, how did you end up getting uh, to Los Angeles? Like, what made the move to LA from Berkeley? Uh,
1: I got there in a plane. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> did you, you all with all yeah. your stuff in the plane? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Um, no, but it was, uh, you know, I I think I did what a lot of people do. You know, you you get out of school and then you kind of. Um, Turn to a place either dramatic, you know, like like you've been from Omaha, you go to school and then you go to New York City, you know right, what I mean? right? Or you you come back to some place that's maybe a little bit more familiar. We have some roots to build off of. Um, for me, being from Chicago, that was really kind of felt a lot like an easier um, progression, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's let's uh, come out of school, let's go back to this big city, and let's let's start to cut our teeth a little bit. Um, I was so green. You know, it was, I mean, looking back on it now, after all the years of touring and, and just kind of hustling, it was like just so green. But at the end of the day, it was really beautiful because I, I you know, played shows, dealt with a you know, fair share of rejection. Like, of course, everybody does. Um, but it led me to uh, working with Jim Peterick is a songwriter who uh wrote eye of the tiger um, oh, huh. you know and and has a whole i mean uh hold on loosely uh vehicle yeah you know, all these other uh, you know classic tunes and mm-hmm. and there's more i'm sure to his resume that i'm just, of course not thinking of now but um and he and i had a really cool working relationship and he produced this um kind of demo essentially for me uh totally just like i didn't pay him a cent he was just so supportive of what i was doing and and we were friends and he uh just a mentor and and Mm -hmm. recorded this this demo and um it kind of broke my heart a little bit when i left for la really just because i had to tell him that that was what my move was going to be um Mm -hmm. but i think unbeknownst to him like i wouldn't have been able to do it without him because that demo was sort of like what teed me up and that confidence of working with him was like, now I can make this shift. I can make this move, and I can use this demo as like my new way to to introduce people to what I can do. And you know that was essentially what I what I shopped around for opportunities when I first got to town. So.
0: Wow. And then from, from landing in LA and having this demo, like what was the next phase for you in your career? Yeah,
1: it was, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of acoustic shows. You know what Uh I mean? Like, you know, there was no band in place or anything like that. I had obviously played with some guys when I was in Chicago that were great, but they didn't come with, it wasn't that kind of vibe. Um, and so, you know, just a lot of a lot of just shaking hands, kissing babies, trying to, you know, get bookings at shitty rooms because you didn't know better, you mm-hmm. know, that kind of thing. And 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 again, cutting teeth in a new town and learning the city and learning the scene. And um, and I think the big thing for me was I've never been i mean probably to my detriment at some degree you know but like i've never been like a just a glad handing kind of musician not in the way where i wouldn't like want to go out and meet people of course it was just uh, it's the midwest part of me like mm-hmm. if we connect like i want to be friends i want to be actually homies you know what i mean mm-hmm. and uh you know just sort of if if you were booking a room and you were an asshole like i just didn't want to play that room anymore you know what right, I mean? right 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 so that was just kind of how it was for me so um I think those, those first um, couple years, and, and I'm sure a lot of actors who moved to the town feel the same way. It was, it was really about finding, like, who your people are, you know, mm-hmm. like, who you can surround yourself with that um, can make you feel as though you can continue to be creative, um, people who can support you, other people who are creative so you can support them um it wasn't always musicians you know and uh but i was lucky enough to find that i had a great crew of dudes who um were kind of my rider dies those first couple of years and mm-hmm. uh no friends to this day and um you know yeah it was it was a special time that way but again so green oh my so green
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well uh, tell if me i about knew that
1: what i know now kind of thing
0: Right, right. I mean, so you put out, what, Hollow? Is that your first EP? Was that 2015-ish?
1: Yeah, Hollow. So, um, well, actually, right before then, I was touring with a band called Stamps, and um, it was this incredible pop outfit. It was a duo of actually, um, funny enough, the story behind this one, because there always is one, right? is Mm -hmm. um, I went to high school with a guy named Bob Morris, who was a really, really talented and profoundly motivated individual. Like he's one of those guys who, you know, I'm sure he'd even be the first to admit, there are people who are more talented, but they would not work as hard as him. And he just would barrel opportunity forward. And um, he had had some really great bands, uh, you know, over the years and he had started this one, Stamps. And um, basically they needed a second guitar player. And we had been friends since high school. The drummer was actually someone I played ball with in high school. He was oh, wow. just, all of us were out in LA. So it was this kind of, you know, small community that somehow just managed to migrate all the way over together. Um, and, uh, and so he just kind of hired me to do a, a gig at like Viper Room to sit in. And, um, you know, we knocked it out. We had a ton of fun. I vibed with the rest of the guys. Um, and girl, Ren Patrick was the lead singer. She's phenomenal. Um, and then sadly, Bob and Ren and the whole crew kind of disbanded shortly thereafter. And oh, wow. so I just sort of raised my hand and was like, hey, if you guys are gonna keep moving forward with this, like I'm having a lot of fun. Like I'm down, you know, just let me know. And um, I already knew the set, maybe that was easier. So uh, so that started like two and a half years of, uh, of playing with them. And, you know, that was really a lot of fun. It taught me a lot about simplicity. You know, um, playing pop music is, you know, it's, it's the same thing with country kind of thing. You know, pop music is can be really simple, um, with a focus on production, of course. But I was doing like acoustic finger style, like Michael Hedges, like kind of really elaborate alternate tuning stuff prior to getting with the band. So it dumbed down my playing um into a way that was was again like I learned a lot from it. Um, but we were playing, you know. 30 shows, uh, a month or 25 or 30 shows a month, two to 3000 people a show. I mean, we were having a freaking blast. Um, and that was, that was like the bulk of my early touring experiences with that outfit. And then, um, and then, yeah, once we got out of that, um, and that kind of sort of, you know, uh, whatever the phrase would be, kind of went its course or what have you Mm -hmm. um then Howell was my first time where I was able to like really really feel like I I could make a record or an EP even that case um that was really reflective of what you would think is like quote a professional record like it Mm -hmm. wasn't a demo anymore like this was real stuff and um Hal Weiner who's a Grammy nominated um engineer is uh was the one who produced that one he was an incredible mentor for me his big thing for me, and that was really transformative, was in the way of uh, "this is how to do it as a quote pro." You know, like mm-hmm. if if you want to, so the right studio means like this is the materials you're gonna have to chart all these things out. You're gonna have to get these things ready for these guys. We are only gonna have two days. We're not gonna make up any more days. This is all the time you got. Um, So be ready for it. And, um, and so he just kind of taught me how to be pro. And that was really, uh, again, impactful in a way that it just has completely carried with me throughout my career. And -hmm. that was like the blues rock stuff. Like that was when I was like nitty gritty, like, you know, black keys, kind of, you know, just guitar, bass, drums, balls. Mm -hmm. Like, that was kind of what that was.
0: Okay. Okay. And yeah. then from that record, were you able to continue on touring and now as a solo act?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was um I had learned so much about being on the road, kind of the practical mm-hmm. sides of just what that entailed. And then also just like, you know, I'd caught the bug for wanting to be out that um definitely began doing a lot more fly dates. We were doing the NACA circuit, you know, playing college shows and things like that, mm-hmm. doing some regional touring. Um you know, didn't have a budget so couldn't really do it the way that Stamps was doing as far as like the really long runs but mm-hmm. we definitely got out of LA and it was okay. really really great to I think just kind of own some of that you know like when I was in Stamps I didn't write that music so I could kind of be a part of it but I wasn't a writer like this is the first time I could see people like on a larger scale really getting into music and, and giving me that feedback live um, of stuff that I really believed in that that I had written and produced and put together um, with my team. So, so that was really, really amazing. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. And w- yeah. well, your new record is coming out in a couple of weeks here. yeah, uh, C- Civilian air. I love, uh, love the title. That's nice. so good. I appreciate um,
1: it.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know when this record began, like when did you start writing it and did that was like, did COVID or how did that affect, you know, how the outcome of the album was or did it not at all? Cause maybe you started it after the fact.
1: Oh, man, 100%. And I, you know, I think it goes without I mean, COVID took so much from so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, I am one of the lucky few, or, or at least I'm just grateful to be able to say it, that, like, COVID gifted me a lot. And um, I think uh, I had gotten to a place, after I did Howl, I released another EP called Rumor. That was my first mm-hmm. to try and put together something a little this whole sort of journey that i've been chasing about how do i take like again like blues roots these kind of soul these really organic visceral elements to this this you know style that I love but of package it if you will in a much more modern contemporary sort of radio friendly kind of sound Mm -hmm. um that one was really slick but um in doing that and in putting that out i had i'd really been pushing myself to a place where I was losing a lot of the joy that I was having all throughout the years with music. And I think, you know, there's a lot of musicians out there that I'm sure can, you know, relate to that area of things where you're just like, is this fun still, you know, like, or am Mm -hmm. I just doing this because this is what I've always done. And when COVID hit um, the whole world paused. And so that keeping up with the Joneses that I think so many independent musicians and people still on the rise and on the hustle, um, you know, that struggle you go through trying to not compare yourself to other people, but it's inherently impossible. Most of the time, Mm -hmm. you know, um, all that stress and all that kind of anxiety that was paired with that, like kind of disappeared and the timeline of it all just sort of stood still. And I, um, I just kind of stopped, you know, I was like, I'm going to stop doing music for a little bit and I'm just going to like focus on something else. Cause it's not, it's not serving me. It's not bringing me any joy. And then slowly with COVID and the time, um, I was able to kind of dive back in. And I think the real uh, awesome part about what became civilian air was all these songs were never meant to be an album they were literally oh, meant to be i i took the time and the extra coin i had oh yeah what's up thought you can ask them um,
0: oh, no 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 i said that's i said that's awesome that, I, that you you know they weren't going to be an album that it ended up being an album i was just commenting yeah. on what you no yes yeah. it was well,
1: it was i I had, well, I had you know we weren't going out right so like i had a couple extra right. nickels and so i i put it into developing a home studio and so all these songs became um me really like I'd always had some really beautiful engineers and co-producers who can quote, turn the knobs, but -hmm. this was like my first stab at being like, all right, I'm going to do everything. I'm going to turn the knobs. I'm going to get these skills for myself so I can just make things that make me happy instead of trying to continue to make something that makes other people happier, that fits some genre or some sellable product. right? Mm -hmm. And like um, in doing so, like I just had all this time on my hands to just create and the whole goal of all of it. And I literally said this to myself out loud on more than one occasion. So I was like, you are making something that no one's going to hear. So just enjoy it. It was purely like for my enjoyment, you know? And all of a sudden I had all these songs that weren't finished that um, were predominantly instrumental. And uh, I had my drummer over one night and we were just having dinner at the house. And I was like, Hey man, um, I'm going to play you a bunch of stuff and you just give me thumbs up, thumbs down, whatever, and whatever you like, and that you feel inspired to want to collaborate on, you know, like we'll finish. And Mm -hmm. we went through, I don't know, probably 13 songs or something like that, that were relatively done or not done. And there was nine of them that, He was thumbs up. I like, I really like this. And then by the end of the night, we sort of looked at each other like, holy cow, do we have an album? You know, like, like Mm -hmm. we have enough to like do something. And, um, and that became a journey after that that was about finishing these nine songs. And it was wild. It takes that long. I think that's because, you know, life still continued a bit and I was still, Mm -hmm. um, figuring out what the sound was. But, it created this interesting thing, and it was a long-winded answer, of course, but it was interesting because every song sort of has a level of through line because there are certain instruments that are very characteristic of me. But at the same time, because each of them was made in this vacuum individually, they're all, they exist on their own at the same time, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not like we did a pre-production thing where it's like, these six instruments are going to encompass 10 songs for this album, you know? It was... Um, a lot of experimentation and, and pushing my sound personally into places that I wasn't comfortable going just to see what would happen. And um, it kind of put together this record that again, I, I'm just super proud of. Cause I think it's, you know, since I produced it all on my own, it is mm-hmm. very, very much me. Attitudinally sonically with the influences, both recent and past and, you know, I, I I can just, I hear so much of myself in it. And uh, there was a lot of years of trying to put together music that I was like, how do I fit me into your box?
0: Mm-hmm. And,
1: and this is the first time I was like, there is no box. Fuck the box. I'm over <laughs> the box. You know, like, and um, again, wasn't really supposed to be an album. And then now it's something we're just so, so proud of.
0: That's so cool. That is so exciting. And the first song single from the record, the Hold." why did you choose that one as like kind of the the lead off?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, I think, you know, there, there were some practical reasons and there's some very like, you know, artistic and more emotional reasons, candidly. Um, The more practical side was um, I I had done some artist development stuff uh, on the label end when I was kind of paused and not really performing for a little bit and developing acts for a Warner Brothers subsidiary. Um, And like, I kind of candidly saw and was, you know, rudely reminded about the amount of money it takes, of course, to make like a hit artist. Right. And um, I don't think uh, anyone listening to this podcast is going to be surprised that I didn't have a million dollars to just drop to support independently my own project to make that happen. So um, I decided that instead of trying to grab a track that was going to be quote, like, hit ready or something mm-hmm. like that i wanted to put out a track that i just thought was interesting that something on a much more smaller much more regional if you will scale bloggers things like that um would find different and just sort of interesting and be like hey this doesn't sound like everything else i'd be down to write about this or i'd be down to talk to you about this mm-hmm. and the hold to me is um sounds so much longer and epic in its scale than the three and a half or three, four, you know, three minutes and 45 seconds. That is it from start to finish. I mean, it's, it's not a long song, but it goes a lot of places. And, um, so practically speaking, that was kind of what I was, I was doing. I just wanted people to get interested Mm -hmm. and then want to talk about it. Um, on a much more kind of emotional level is, um, you know, through the pandemic, um, I actually entered into sobriety, which was something that I really publicly, you know, didn't do a lot of talking about. Um, I'd always kind of had thinly veiled metaphors and things like that to that struggle for myself in my music. But um, the hold was a really, really, uh, fairly literal kind of depiction of what that kind of journey has been like for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, sonically it's full of tension and release and like really big crescendos and you know when I listen to it I think of it visually as like a battle or a war because like that's how it felt like to me dealing with um what I was dealing with and Mm -hmm. uh, in the pandemic um I think like a lot of people you know they realized they took a lot of looks at themselves Um, you know, realize what their actions, were they serving me? Are they not? Am I drinking too much? Am I not? You know, and um, part of the journey of making this record lyrically was exploring a lot of those complicated, complicated emotions. And I'm thankfully now on a healthier kind of opposite side of things now. So I can look back at the record and really kind of appreciate it as this snapshot of this in-between stage, you know, this Mm -hmm. transitional kind of period and to me, the hold is um, it really kind of like the cornerstone to to that whole arc, if you will, you know? Cause it's just sits right in the middle of that tension.
0: That's incredible. Uh- I mean, congratulations on the sobriety. I've, i I'm also uh, a member of the sober.
1: <laughs> oh, nice man. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. For um, me, third time is the charm. So <laughs> no way. The same with me. <laughs> there, you go. there you go, man. Well, good luck for that, bro. Stay on it. Yeah. Good for you.
0: Yeah. Um, I've been, i yeah, done it for a bit of time now, but congratulations. That's so, that's so awesome.
1: Thanks, man. You know, it's, yeah. it's really interesting. I, I, I shied away from talking about it for a long time. And I think, you uh-huh. know, if, if obviously if you have experience with this, you know, you uh, can connect on some level, I'm sure, this as sure. well. But as a recording artist, it's it's really easy to talk about some and be immediately a cliche. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. All of a sudden someone could hear that and be like, Oh, I know your story already. You're like this guy or this rocker, or, you know, just da da da. And I know that everyone's experience with substance abuse, no matter what it is, is a profoundly, profoundly individual experience. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I have found, uh, through this process of promoting this record and talking about it more than I ever have, that, um, it has been way more cathartic than I thought it would be, you know? And, uh, I I had to kind of come to grips with the fact, too, that like more than ever before with my music, like it is an integral part to the story of this album. You know, I think it influenced things in the past, but um, it is very much a main character in this album. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about it, because I wouldn't, I'd be not giving people the full picture to where the art came from. But um, I think it also, you know, music's not, as a songwriter, when we make things, and we put them out into the world, that's, they're not ours anymore. They're for whomever wants to listen, you know, mm-hmm. Livingston Taylor at Berkeley. He was the one who instilled this in me. He's like, if you want to make music for you, sit in your bedroom, play in front of a mirror never fucking leave the house. That's for you. you <laughs> know what I mean? He's like the moment you get on stage, the moment you make it a record and you put it out and you want someone to spend the harder money on it, it's not for you anymore. It's for them. And so um, I've, I've taken that with me for sure my whole life. And, you know, songs about dealing with the struggle songs that, you know, essentially helped me cope with being cool with being sober again. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope, you know, and I don't, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a superhero, you know, people are going to do what they're going to do and address things the way that they should on a very personal level. But if anyone can take even a, a little bit from my record and my experience to help them, you know that that is what music is supposed to be there for you know to that connection and so people can can find themselves in the art and so um yeah so i've i've you know begrudgingly at first but slowly but surely you know and I'm, I'm being more comfortable about talking about it publicly
0: yeah that's that's incredible i I felt the same way when i but when i decided to do that or you know stop drinking and be sober and i didn't talk about it for a very long time actually the first time i ever talked about it was i was on this podcast with an artist oh no way like, well, here we go. Because she was yeah. very open about it. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. Like, uh, I have been sober since the 25th of June, 2017. Um, Good for you, man. Good for and you. yeah. And I mean, I was, I came from the radio world and I didn't tell anybody I worked with or, you know, it was just something yep. I just said, oh, I don't like, I don't drink. I don't like drinking. <laughs> kind of yeah. like that was my whole thing. Because it's like a weird it's really weird. Sometimes oh, you just like, especially when you first start, it's like, do you, how do I present this to people? And I, I, I don't know. Every well, But I've I, never had an experience where anyone was like, oh, you're weird, man. Like it's never been like that.
1: It's, it's really interesting what I found more than anything. And again, this is, this is, you know, it's my third time being sober. And so I've, I've gone through this process and sort of had gradually had these conversations over, over the years. But like, oh, when you tell people you're sober, there's usually kind of, you know, three reactions. Either it's completely doesn't matter, you know right. what I mean? And like kind of goes over something said or whatever, it's completely irrelevant, which is totally fine with me. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's a the very Yeah. Yeah that's, <laughs> yeah. that's great, you know? Because I also, and that's a tangent too far, but like I don't want it to be my story. Like I want right. me being sober to be as much about me. The way you know, what I mean, like it's just a part of me, but it's not who I am. You right. Know? And mm-hmm. like, um, but when you talk about it, it's like some people, it's like, oh, cool, that's great. So, uh, what's the weather? You know. So mm-hmm. that's one thing. Um, you have other people who are like, wow, that's that's really impressive. Like, how did you do that? You know. Mm, sure. And then you also get people who get really weirded out. And I really think that the latter two, more than the first, um, have to do with the fact that when You know, the unintended circumstance that comes about when you say that you're sober is I think a lot of people um, kind of reflect on their own actions, inadvertently or intentionally. And some people, and again, I mean this with all respect to everybody, Mm -hmm. but like some people aren't ready to deal with that, you know, like there could be someone who knows in their heart that they are like pounding the sauce way more than they would prefer to. And all of a sudden you come in and you're like, yeah, I'm sober you know, and they're like, oh, that's weird. You want a shot, bro? You should have a shot. And it's like, no, yeah. they're like, you just want someone to make you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And like, that's not up to me. And again, everyone's journey is so incredibly personal that even people who are in the harshest of that particular situation, who want to like push booze on someone who's sober, whatever, like I got love for you. You know, because you're still figuring out whatever you got to figure out. But Mm -hmm. um, I did find it really interesting over the years that, you know, as you talk about sobriety to a lot of people, usually it's one of those three things, you know, Mm -hmm. And, and the ones that I love, though, is that second one. yeah that's the best one right (laughs) yeah where where all of a sudden a dialogue opens up and there and then you you kind of realize that people reveal themselves a little bit that like they've thought about not drinking or something like that or for a variety of reasons some people it's just like i want to be healthier how did you stop doing that how or you know i don't Mm -hmm. just don't want to spend all my free time at a bar i'd rather go to a museum how did you do that with your friends you know and so um you know and that's really cool because then all of a sudden you get to you get to tell people what your positive experience was and feel like maybe you were able to help them figure something out or, or feel a little bit more comfortable that if they made that decision, they would not be alone in it, you know? And, um, I guess, and again, just to bring it all together, it's like in some small way by, by being honest about it and putting a record out, that kind of, you know, addresses it head on in some instances. Um, I hope people can, you know, kind of connect with that on that level.
0: That's incredible. Yeah, I didn't even realize the record was about that. I'm glad I that you, spe- I mean, it's one of the, the, another option with with you're talking about the three ways people can react mm-hmm. is they're like, Oh, so am I. And then it's like, Oh, oh yeah, that's true same. too. Like yeah. now yeah. it's like, Oh, okay. I get you. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like yeah. you have this thing in common. The one thing I was always afraid of was the, and it was just my own, you know, personal like character defect it would be like the judgment of like, Oh, like what, mm-hmm. like, you you don't you can't drink. Okay, well, why not? Like, what terrible things do you do? You know what I mean. It's like yeah. it, it spins into that, and I'm like, yeah. And that's never really have happened to me. Like I've I've seen it a couple times in in my life, but like, yeah, the, it, that is so so minuscule. But it's like, and then it goes back to, well, why are they really? <laughs> yeah, that exactly. concerned about what I'm doing. And well, why do I really even care what they think?
1: <laughs> exactly. And it's, always, it's, it's really funny too, because there are so few things in your life as a normal human being. And I think anyone who drink or don't drink, like think about this for a moment, like how do you really have to prepare a response for in your life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, like that is the one thing in my, in my life that I've like, always kind of have a reply for in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, and sometimes it's she, you know, and makes light of the situation because you can tell this uncomfortable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And like and other times you can tell someone's being a little more genuine and inquisitive and you can be real. And you're like, well, honestly, I have some words that I'd rather not share. Right. You know? And, but they're a part of, you know, to, to use that kind of line, like it's a part of my truth. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like my wife and my relationship would not be the same if she wasn't the partner, she was in helping me get through that. You know, my relationship with my family wouldn't be the same if they didn't support me the way that they did. And, you know, have gone through some of the experiences that we've gone through as a family or as partner and my friends, the exact same way, you know, I mean, there's so many of my friends who, my drummer is incredible about this. You know, when he met me, I was sober. When we started playing together, I was sober. And then um, I, relapse is not the appropriate word that I use. For my experience, But started drinking again at some point. And, um, you know, then we had incredible experiences, you know, bar hopping together. And we also had some pretty miserable ones, you know. And then when I went sober again, I was kind of scared. I wasn't sure I was back in that new territory again about like, can I do this? What's this Mm going to be like? Um, And I just remember him telling me and it meant a lot to me where he's like, I thought you were the coolest person when I met you and you were sober then, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've known you this way and I've known you this way. And I just want you to know, like, I think you're a badass no matter what you decide to do. And, like, that stuck with me. That was so cool. It gave me permission Mm -hmm. to, like, be cool with myself. And Mm -hmm. um, you have to find that for yourself, you know? But um, I think one of the hardest things to try to tell people, you know, around you who don't have this struggle as theirs is how important that permission can be, you know? Like, I don't need you to tell me I need to be sober for me to be cool with it, but... If you're cool with it, God, that makes it a lot easier for me to be right because cool I feel like that's a support
0: system, you know. Totally. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's it's yeah. shitty being alone in it, you know. But, right. um, but when you're not alone in it, that's that's awesome. So
0: that is so. I mean, again, that's. Congratulations! Thanks, I, man. You, I'm too. Glad, you too. I'm glad this opened up, and and in this, you know, we're able to talk about that with the record. That's so cool. Yeah. And I appreciate your time, Dave. This has been awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, I have one more quick question for you. I yeah, want to know if you have any advice for aspiring artists.
1: Oh, 100. Um, I think you know, death to ego is definitely a really good one. But just um, you know, it takes a village. It, I was one of those people who really, really thought I couldn't own my success early on unless I did it all myself. And the fact of the matter is, the older I got, the more I learned that you can't do it all by yourself. And, uh, you know, find good people who think you do cool things and who are good humans. And, you um, and, and ask for advice, you know, when people say go buy someone a cup of coffee and, you know, people love to give advice more than they love to do favors. So don't ask for favors, you know, just just go and learn, make friends. You know, if you like venue, don't try to make friends with the booking guy because you want to get booked, make friends with the booking guy because you just want a new buddy. You know what I mean? The booking, I promise you, will come if you make a lot of friends before you try to make a lot of like colleagues, you know, just like go out there, be a part of the scene. Um, that was tricky for me at first, you know, cause I had an ego and then, you know, the moment you get out there and you just do a lot more to support other people, ask questions, all of a sudden they're going to turn around, they're going to support you. So